Uh, good morning once again, church. Uh, I'd ask you to take out your Bibles with me. If you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, there's a copy on the pew in front of you. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. We'll have God's Word for us today. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now as you turn there, and before we read God's Word aloud together, I want to ask you if you've ever considered the significance of your name. Have you ever considered how significant your name is, or whether it's even significant at all? Are we like those in the Bible who sometimes live up or down to our names and the meaning of our names? You see this over and over again in Scripture. Someone will be named something, and then they will proceed to live up or down to that name, to the meaning of that name. Have you ever considered what your name actually means? Or perhaps you're like my wife and I, and you, you might have just named your kids whatever sounded good to you, you know, except for our son. We were going to name our son Grant. Grant's a great name. We've got a Grant. Grant's a great name, right? It's a great sounding name. We we're going to name our son Grant. And we loved Owen for a middle name, loved it. And then all of a sudden I had this flash of my little boy walking down the high school hallways with one of those L.L. Bean backpacks with his initials that would have been G-O-D. And I was like, we can't do this. Hold on. Stop. We can't name him Grant. So we switched it and we named him Owen and we gave him my middle name, which is Thomas. I, I, I genuinely think it's no coincidence that I'm named John and I became a preacher. And there are so many preachers, so many preachers with the name of John. It just kind of happened that way. But I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And so, do we consider the significance of our names? I think it was much different in biblical times than it is today, but names mean a lot. They mean a whole lot. And today, we're going to examine a passage that talks about the naming of Jesus. It was significant that they named Him Jesus. And that name has carried a significance throughout history ever since then, as names tend to do. How many people today do you know named Judas? Probably not many. How many people do you know? How many little boys are named Adolf these days? Not many, right? But interestingly enough, there are not many in America who name their little boys Jesus. But in other countries, especially in Hispanic countries, there are. I, I met a couple a couple weeks ago, a man and a woman. His name was Jesus, and her name was Santa. It was Jesus and Santa. Talk about a power couple, right? And so the name of Jesus has carried a significance ever since this first Christmas because of what it means, and because of who he was. And so let's look at our text. Matthew 1, I'm going to start in verse 18. And I want you to pay particular attention to when this passage talks about the naming of Jesus. So verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The naming of Jesus teaches us three things about God this morning. Number one, God is with us. Number two, God is over us. And finally this morning, we're going to look at the fact that God is for us. Jesus means God with us, God over us, and God for us. Let's take them in turn. First, God with us. Notice there in verse 23. Now, Matthew says this is all to fulfill what Isaiah spoke hundreds and hundreds of years before in Isaiah 7, that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus means God with us. God has come down to dwell with his people. And this is such an astounding thing. This is such an astounding fact of the Christian religion that people who follow other religions are scandalized by this. They cannot accept it. God would come down as a human being and dwell with his people. One of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer, writes about this topic in this way. He says, The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. He writes this, watch this. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. There's nothing even in fiction that is so fantastic as God becoming a human being and coming down to dwell with us. David Platt tells a story of having a conversation with two other guys from different religions, and they were all talking about God. And these two other gentlemen, they viewed God as someone who was up on top of a mountain. And there there are many paths to God, and you could get to him however path you chose. So one person takes this path up the mountain, and another person takes this path, and another person takes this path. But at the end, right, we all get there. All religions essentially lead to the same point, God on top of a mountain. And then David Platt proceeds to say to them, but what if that God, instead of making you come up to him, came down to you and told you about himself and showed you the path? And they said, well, that would, be, that would be great, but that's impossible. Well, this is Christianity. Christianity is not God on top of a mountain waiting for us to come to Him. It's God coming down to us. Nothing is so amazing as the truth of Christmas. The incarnation is one of the most amazing facts in the entire Christian religion, in the entire world. Now, we want to take this a bit further, though. 
What do we learn from God with us? Well, the incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, it teaches us that Jesus was both fully God and fully man while he was on this earth. When Jesus was on this earth, he was at the same time both fully 100% God and simultaneously 100% human man. Right? Let's take both of those and look at them just a little deeper. He's fully man. Right? He's fully a human. In that song, Away in a Manger, as sweet as it is, the second verse says, no crying he makes. Guys, that can't be true at all. He was a human being. He was a, a baby. He cried. He needed to be changed. He, he let his mom and his dad know when he had needs, just like every other baby does. Jesus became a human being in all of the sense of our humanity, except that he did not sin. It's the only difference. He experienced what we experience. Hebrews 2 talks about this. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He can sympathize with us. This is why the truth of Jesus being fully human matters so much. We do not have a Savior who is up in the clouds telling us to come to Him and giving us commands that He doesn't understand about. We have a God who understands fully what it means to be a human being. He experienced the human condition completely, except for He never sinned. Jesus suffered physically and emotionally. He experienced weakness did he not? He got tired. He had to learn things as he grew up. He had to grow and develop. He dealt with other people and all of their imperfections and all of the ways that that creates a burden on you. He was born and he died. He was a human in every way. And yet, at the same time, he was fully God. Fully man, and at the same time, fully God. We sing, hark the herald angels sing. And in that song, we also sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. This is what that's talking about. Jesus was fully God. He claimed to be divine on numerous occasions. He, he knew this about himself. John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Mark 2, when he heals the paralytic who was let down through the roof. Before he even heals him, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone around is scandalized. Why? Because they know Jesus is claiming to be able to do something that only God can do, to forgive sins. He's claiming to be God there in Mark 2. John says in the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? The Word was God. Right? Paul says as much about him in Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, of godness, dwells bodily. And so, while Jesus voluntarily took on our humanity, he never relinquished his divinity. He never relinquished his godness. Right? Yes, he, he gave up his glory. Right? When he came to earth, he gave up his glory. He gave up his place, his exalted place in heaven. 
And so we sing in that same song, mild he lays his glory by, right? But you can see clearly in his life, he did not give up his divinity. He draws intermittently on powers that only God could have. There are times when Jesus knows what people are thinking without them speaking it. He knows what is in their hearts. There are times when Jesus can see things happening miles and miles away without even being there. Right? He can do things that only God can do. He can raise the dead. He can heal lepers. And so Jesus is fully God and fully man, God with us. And this is so important because only a God, only a person who is both of those things, fully God and fully man, can die for the sins of the whole world. Only someone like that can die for the sins of the whole world. You see, if it was just a human dying up there on the cross, and he was not fully God, he was just a man, well, he perhaps could die for one other person. He perhaps could be a substitute for one other person. But even then, he would have had to be a, a perfect person during his life, never having sinned. And he would have to have the ability to suffer the equivalent of an eternity in hell right there on the cross. And so if he was just a man, he could have never done this. But if he was just God... If he was only God, well, number one, he could never have died, right? But number two, if he was only God, it wouldn't be a like-for-like -like substitution, right? It wouldn't be a human for humans. Only a God, only a person who is fully God and fully man can die for your sins. Because only an infinite being can suffer an infinite amount up there on that cross in a finite period of time. Only Jesus could have suffered the equivalent of an eternity in hell for the sins of the whole world in a finite period of time on that cross. Only someone who is fully God and fully man can die for the sins of the world. And so when we read Emmanuel means God with us, we rejoice, we worship, because that means everything to us. Christmas means God with us. Jesus means God with us. But it also means God over us. Not just God with us, but the naming of Jesus. It means God is over us. You see, in verse 21, God does something interesting here. He takes away Joseph's right to name his child. Did you notice that? God takes away Joseph's right to name his own child. Verse 21, you shall, Joseph, you shall name his name Jesus. You shall call him Jesus. You see, naming something is a symbol that you have ownership rights over that thing, whether it's your kid or whether it's your pet or whatever. When you name something, you're saying, that's mine. I get to decide what its name is. And in a patriarchal culture like Mary and Joseph lived in, it was the father's absolute right to name the child, right? That responsibility lied with the father, the naming of a child. He had absolute rights to name his child whatever he wanted. Many times he did not, the, the, the father did not even give the wife a say in this. He would just name his boy whatever, right? Do you remember the story of John the Baptist? John the Baptist, John's parents were named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Well, an angel appears to Zechariah, who was serving as a priest at that time, and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And he doesn't believe the angel because Elizabeth has been barren their whole lives. She's been unable to have children. 
And so the angel says, no, you're going to have a son. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he's in the womb. And you're going to name him John. You're going to name him John. When Zechariah doesn't believe the angel, so the angel strikes him with muteness, with the inability to speak until the boy is born. And then once the boy is born, they go to Elizabeth and they say, what's his name going to be? And apparently Elizabeth has somehow communicated to Zechariah. And Elizabeth said, I think his name's supposed to be John. And they say, no, no, nobody in your family has named that. So they go to Zechariah and they give him a tablet to write on. And Zechariah writes, his name is John. And immediately God loosens his tongue. He's able to speak because he obediently named the boy John. Right? But here, Joseph's right to name his own child is taken away. See, naming a child is asserting your right over it. But this was God's way of telling Joseph, Joseph, this child is going to grow up and be your Lord. You will honor him. You will end up submitting to him. You see, we want a Jesus that we can control. We want a Jesus that we can manage. We want Jesus in our back pocket for whenever it's convenient for us. We don't want to call him Jesus. We want to decide who he is for ourselves. We want to manage him. We want him to be there when we need something. And then we want him to go away when everything's going fine. We want him to punish what we're against, but we want him to affirm the sins that we like to dabble in, do we not? We want a Jesus that we can control, a Jesus that we can manage. We don't want to name him Jesus. We want to name him whatever we want to name him. But you see, when you come to Jesus, he says, I'll have every bit of you, or I'll have nothing. I'll have every bit of you, or I'll have nothing. I'm going to rule every corner of your heart. I want your values, your habits. He says, I want your relationships. I want your downtime. I want your thought life, everything. Jesus wants to invade, and he wants to infect everything with his goodness and his glory. Yes, he will make you uncomfortable at times, but trust me, he's got plans for you that are greater than you could have ever imagined. There is a happiness out there that you've never experienced if you are not in Christ this morning. And the only way to get it is to give up control. To give up this sense that you want to manage your own life, and to let Jesus do whatever he wants, no matter how hard or uncomfortable it is. And you see in verse 25 there in our text, what happens? Joseph obeys. He obeys. Verse 25, and he called his name Jesus. And so the question is put to you today, will you do the same? Will you, in your heart, will you call his name Jesus? Will you refuse to call him whatever you want to call him? Will you let him rule? In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked what is perhaps the, the question of the age. He asked to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I ask the same question to you today. Who do you say that he is? It is perhaps the question. Or perhaps we ask it like this, will you call on his name? Not just will you call his name Jesus, will you call on his name Peter, when he was preaching to the people at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, in the middle of his sermon, he quotes a, a verse from the book of Joel in the Old Testament, and he says, And it shall come to pass 
that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Joseph obeyed. He called his name Jesus. But this would have taken courage for Joseph, right? This would have taken an amazing amount of courage for Joseph. In a shame and honor society that they lived in, which is much different than the society that we live in today in modern America, they live in a shame and honor society, a shame and honor culture. He would have been ostracized. Why? Well, because people were going to do the math. When she had the baby, people were going to figure it out. Wait a second, Joseph. Okay, she's having this baby, and you haven't even been married for that long yet. Joseph, either she was unfaithful to you, or you got her pregnant before y'all were married. And, and you can imagine Joseph looking back at his friends, or the people who were talking to him, saying, no, 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 you don't understand. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Really? I mean, think of the, the absolute absurdity that his friends would have looked at him with when he said that. They're like, you must be out of your mind. You must be so gullible. Did she tell you that? Did Mary tell you that? Is that what she duped you into believing? You see, Joseph acts with courage here because he knows he's going to be ostracized once this baby is born. It's not this amazing experience because you are now the adoptive father of the Savior of the whole world. No, he would have been ostracized from society. And in the same way, it takes courage to follow Jesus today, does it not? It takes courage to follow Jesus today. Are you ready to tell people you've given your life to Jesus? Are you ready to tell folks that? Are you ready to stand firm on God's truth and perhaps be called a closed-minded bigot? Are you ready to have your, your beliefs called hate speech? It's coming. Even in a place like Columbia, Kentucky, it's coming. Are you ready to follow Jesus, even if it means telling the truth, when it'll hurt your pocketbook? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to follow Jesus if it means you don't get that promotion? Are you ready to risk offending someone close to you because you desperately just wanted to tell them the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and yet now it offends them because they, they understand, oh, you're saying you're saying, I'm going to hell. That's what you're saying. Are you ready for this? It takes courage to follow Jesus. If you follow Christ, life will get harder in some ways. If you commit your life to Jesus, if you become a Christian this December, life's going to actually get harder in some ways. It would be disingenuous and dishonest of me to tell you that life just gets better. It's, it's so great once you come to Jesus. Now, that's not what the Bible says all the way. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Or perhaps take the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And friends, God keeps his promises, does he not? Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It takes courage to follow Jesus, but it is worth it a hundred times out of a hundred because of eternity 
Where will you spend eternity? And so, naming him Jesus, naming him Emmanuel, it teaches us that God is with us, that God is over us, but not only that, God is for us. Because why is Joseph told to call him Jesus? Why is Joseph told to call him Jesus? Look at that. It's because he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus because, for, he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus was born to die. This nativity scene that we did this morning, it's beautiful, it's joyous, but Christmas begins the march to Good Friday and Easter. That's what Jesus is here for. He came to die. He came to give his life. That's the culmination of it all. That's the goal. That same hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we sing, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, right? Born to give them second birth. That's why he was born. Jesus was not primarily born to heal people. It was not his primary task to do miracles. It was not his primary task to teach. He did not even come primarily to give us an example. That is not his primary task. He came to die, to redeem us by his blood, to purchase salvation, to get to the end, to the point to where he could cry, it is finished, and then give up his soul, having accomplished salvation to all who would put their faith in him. This is the plan from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world, that Jesus would come and die for you, so that if you would but put your faith in Him, so that if you would give your life to Christ, you could be saved, so that salvation could be a free gift to any who would have it. But while it is a free gift, it is not an easy gift to accept, as we have just spoken of. Jesus came to redeem us. This is the plan of salvation that God, the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit hatched before the foundation of the earth. And so the question to you this morning is, will you call His name? Will you call His name Jesus in your heart? Will you call on His name washing away your sins in Christian baptism, giving your life to Him, and knowing from that point on that if your end came before Christmas, that you would spend eternity with Him in heaven. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more important for you to consider. Where will you spend eternity? Do you know, are you willing to bank your eternity on a whim, on thinking, well, I think God let good people into heaven. Are you willing to risk your eternity on what you think God might be like? Or are you going to bank it on these words, these words that are outside of you, these words that do not depend on what you think, these words that tell us that anyone, anyone can be saved if they come to Christ with a needy heart, if they come to Jesus with a needy spirit, asking for their sins to be forgiven, anyone can be saved, but not anyone will be saved. Who do you say He is this morning? Will you call His name? Let's pray.
our great God and our Father, you have sent your Son. You have given us everything. And you have left it to us. What will we do with Jesus? God, we thank you this morning for giving us your Son. We thank you this morning for the joy that the birth of Jesus represents and the hope that the birth of Jesus represents. It is not a hope for a more peaceful world. It is not a hope for good feelings. It's a hope for sinners to be reconciled with God, with you, And God, I know there are some folks in here today who need to be reconciled to you. May this Christmas season be your reaching out to them in their hearts, holding out the hope of reconciliation, holding out the hope of eternal life in heaven and not in hell because of Jesus, because of God coming down to earth as a man to die for me. Plant this truth deep in our hearts, God. Convict us. Help us not to get it out of our minds. I pray that it would go with us out of this place like a rock in our shoe and we would not be able to stop thinking about it. May your truth change us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.